Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. On Wednesday, January 6th, Congress gathered to certify the results of the 2020 election. Arizona's senior Senator Kirsten Sinema was just wrapping up her speech when a commotion began outside the chamber. Mm-hmm. So at that point, everyone, everything stopped and we all knew something was very, very wrong because staffers who report to individual senators were coming onto the floor and that, that just never happens. Mm-hmm. And so they were all directed by police to line up up against the wall and, and everything had stopped at that point. You could hear a lot of commotion, and there were police working hard to secure the outer doors of the chamber. Weeks later, many questions remain about that fateful day, including questions of accountability. Should former President Donald Trump be held accountable for the insurrection at the Capitol? What would accountability look like? And how could the impeachment fracture the relationships among Arizona's elected officials in Washington? Those are the questions we're answering in today's episode. A week after the insurrection, the House issued a single article of impeachment against former President Donald Trump. Trump now stands as the only president to face impeachment twice. There is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi signing the sole article of impeachment. The four-page document charges Trump with inciting insurrection over last week's deadly attack on Capitol Hill. How the Arizona delegation voted was no surprise. Our five Democratic representatives voted in favor of impeachment. Democratic Representative Raul Grijalva, the dean of the delegation, was one of them. He said that years of governing by conspiracy theories, falsehoods, and division led to the attack. He called it the opposite of presidential behavior and the most stunning example of Trump's inability to honor his oath of office. Arizona's four Republican representatives voted against it. Representative Andy Biggs told Tucson's KVOI that the impeachment was totally flimsy He also said that there was no high crime or misdemeanor involved in Trump's actions. But with a Democratic majority in the House, a single article of impeachment passed on January 25th. The Senate began its formal trial of the former president on Tuesday. This is an unusual trial. Members of the Senate are not only jurors, they're witnesses. Here's Arizona's junior senator, Mark Kelly. And then, uh, I'll never forget this, that Cory Booker, uh, who's he's sitting right next to me, and we hear something, and he, he turns around, and he turns back to me, I'll never forget the look on his face, and he says to me, he just saw the Confederate flag at the door. Now, the door is like eight feet away from us. Now that the trial has begun in the Senate, let's look at how Arizona senators are likely to react. Let's start with our senior senator, Kirsten Cinema. Yvonne, how is she likely to vote at the end of all of this? Look, I'm not going to presume that I know exactly how she's going to vote, but I will say that she has certainly given us uh, signals as to what her thinking may be on this. 
Clearly, the senator believes that former President Trump bears responsibility for the insurrection at the Capitol. I talked to her shortly after that day, and of course, she would not say outright whether she'd vote to convict the president. However, she had this to say. This was a violent insurrection incited by Donald Trump, and that is fact. I mean, if you listen to the president's speech, that is what it is. Mm -hmm. And um, we should be honest about it. So if I were to wager a guess, I would say that after listening to the arguments from both sides, Cinema probably will vote to convict Trump. And it's similar to what we saw with the last impeachment trial. Cinema was a closed book about which way she would vote. But in the end, she fell in line with the party, saying it was her constitutional duty. Okay, so let's shift gears to Senator Mark Kelly. He's something that's different this year from last year. You spoke with him shortly after the insurrection. Did he give any clues as to how he might view this matter? He wouldn't say directly how he would vote or how he may be viewing the um, article of impeachment against the president. However, his answer to the question was very similar to Cinema's. He said that he'd listened to arguments from both sides before reaching his conclusion. But he did add this. Because we are a country of laws and the rule of law matters. And um, there's got to be accountability for what happened. So that comment also came on top of another comment in which he said that he was supportive of former Vice President Mike Pence getting together with Trump's former cabinet to try to talk about whether they should invoke the 25th Amendment. That, coupled with his comment to me, I think there's a pretty strong chance that Senator Kelly will also fall in line with the rest of the Democratic Party to vote to convict. Okay, so um, beyond accountability, seems like there are some other things in play with all this. What are some of the reasons the Senate might vote to impeach Trump beyond just holding him accountable for what happened on January 6th? Sure. So I've been talking to some experts about this, and I think one of the biggest reasonings um, behind this beyond, beyond, you know, whether or not Trump gets access to intelligence briefings, whether or not he gets, you know, a security detail for the rest of his post-presidency life. There is the question of history. There is a question of accountability. There is a question of when the history books are written and our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are studying this era, what are they going to learn from it? And how will members of Congress have acted towards holding the president accountable or not for his actions? And that's a, a major theme that, you know, folks really sort of keep coming back to is this question of how will they be judged for their actions when it came to you know, holding the president accountable. I think what a lot of people are looking at beyond just sort of the immediate implications are what do future generations understand or think of how uh, Trump perhaps intended to overthrow the government, to overthrow constitutional order, to 
uh, hold on to power. And I think as much as anything, that is certainly a driving force um, behind this uh, trial. Beyond that, um, you know, if he is convicted, he would not be able to run for president ever again. And it's worth noting that this is an opportunity for both Democrats and Republicans to obviously say where they stand on this. For Democrats, Trump and Trumpism was a real challenge beginning in 2015 to today. If he ran again in 2024, it could continue to be uh, a, a real problem with him at the helm. For Republicans, and in particular moderate Republicans, this would be a chance to really sort of try to take the mic from the president to try to move the party perhaps in a more moderate direction. So we went through this a year ago under a Republican-controlled Senate, and it ended in an acquittal. What, if anything, is different under a Democratic Senate? And will any of this affect Trump's brand of conservatism? I think it's extremely unlikely, as we've seen, um, just from uh, an earlier vote on this, sort of a test vote a couple of weeks ago on how the the Senate might go on this, it's unlikely that they will vote to convict the president. In order to move forward with a conviction, two-thirds of the Senate needs to vote to convict. And remember, we are in a 50-50 Senate where Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris uh, would be uh, a tie-breaking vote. But even if a few Republicans vote in line with Democrats, it's just unlikely to happen. What is likely is that the former president's brand of um, conservatism will continue on. It is continuing on. Perhaps his very loyal supporters will feel vindicated by uh, this unsuccessful or potentially unsuccessful uh, attempt to convict him. Um, But no matter what, this moment really is sort of unlikely to tarnish his political standing among his most ardent followers. Okay, so what comes next for Trump when the trial is over? If it seems unlikely that he will be convicted, um, what are some of his options after this this thing ends? What comes next for those who believe he needs to be held accountable? Well, we've seen the former president start to flex some of his political power uh, at the state-based level, where he one of the first things he did after leaving the White House was to endorse Arizona Republican Party uh, Chair Kelly Ward for her reelection bid. Um, I certainly don't think he's going away. I think that if, um, you know, there's a a good candidate up against uh, Mark Kelly in 2022, we could see him get involved in that race. I don't think his influence on the Republican National Committee more broadly is going away anytime soon, even as much as uh, some more moderate Uh, Republicans may want to help temper uh, some of his influence. I I think Donald Trump Jr. is also going to continue to to influence the party and its politics. So, you know, I don't know necessarily what comes next. We've all heard that perhaps he'd uh, like to start his own media company. Perhaps he gets involved in some sort of social media venture. I don't know what this means, though, for those who, you know, do think he needs to be held accountable? Do you think this will be enough, Ron, a, 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 an acquittal and moving on to his post-presidency life? 
You know, I think it depends on who you're talking about. For Republicans, clearly, uh, those who are displeased with the president, the former president's conduct in all this and are troubled by what happened, think Liz Cheney, for example, who was the uh, most prominent Republican to support impeachment in the House. She's going to have to, you know, try to uh, make her case as to why she still should be in Republican leadership and, and how she continues to speak for conservatives in a moment when the party's faithful seem to still be uh, very much in line with uh, former President Donald Trump. So they have to go back and sort of work with uh, those in their own party. For Democrats, I think this is a little more straightforward. This is just a matter that they are able to take to the public and, and try and beat people over the head with the idea that the GOP is the party of Donald Trump. And here in Arizona, it would include people like Kelly Ward or Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar, who were instrumental in challenging this state's election results. Um, it's also sort of more broadly the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, who was stripped of her House committee responsibilities. So for Democrats, expect a lot of rhetoric around this GOP as a party of extremism and lack of accountability. That, In a sense, the, uh, the trial, if it goes uh, as expected, is sort of uh, the argument Democrats will make as to why we need to vote for Democrats moving forward. For Republicans, this has to be uh, sort of a more searching uh, moment as to how to turn the page in uh, the post-Trump era that is unclear if that will include a non-Trump presence. So um, it's a little more complicated for them. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. So... What does the impeachment mean for our Arizona delegation, the people who Arizonans sent to Washington to represent our state? You've got our Democratic representatives who voted to impeach, our Republican representatives who voted not to impeach. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Members of our congressional delegation have disagreed on everything from stimulus spending to whether or not to remove George's Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee positions, as Ron just indicated. I talked to Cinema about the ability of Arizona's delegation to work across the aisle. She struck a somewhat hopeful tone, and she said that questions should be reserved for members of Congress alone. They apply to all Americans, anyone who has fought with a friend or family member about politics. The first thing I wanted to do was reflect on my own behavior and to ask myself, have I always conducted myself as a senator in a way that um, honors the beliefs that I have of trying to find unity, bringing people together, reducing divide, um, uh, re reducing the kind of um, political talk that political talks not even the right word, but really, you know, hateful or divisive discourse. Ron, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think when all is said and done, are they going to be able to sort of pull together to work on collaborative uh, pieces of legislation on behalf of Arizonans? So I think the delegation is even on the same page with um, some of the goals that they have for handling the pandemic at this point, but not doing it in necessarily a unified way. Just to give you one example of that, 
Last week, the delegation sent four different letters to the White House or to FEMA seeking additional vaccines instead of one uh, sort of point of contact, one special request. And it it just shows sort of how they each had their own priorities um, in trying to do that and, and different points of contact as well. All right, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. As a note, audio in today's episode came from the Canadian Broadcasting Company. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez and Katie O'Connell with help from our newest podcast producer, Amanda Luberto. Welcome aboard, Amanda. To our listeners, thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.